Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Intermittent fasting is a dietary measure by which there are windows of time that you are eating and other windows of time that you are not eating. There are many different ways to intermittent fast from a time-restricted fasting where you eat normally within a certain time window in the day and then you stop eating during the rest of the time of the day. There's also alternate day fasting where you eat a normal diet one day and then eat very, very little or nothing at all on the next day. There's five and two fasting where you eat a normal diet five days a week and fast two days a week. There are many different ways to fast and the benefits are also multiplicative. We know that intermittent fasting can increase our metabolic flexibility. This means that we become more primed and able to use fats and ketones as an energy source instead of simply burning glucose all of the time for our energy. We also know that intermittent fasting reduces the amount of advanced glycolation end products in our body. And these AGEs do exactly that. They age us. So intermittent fasting is also associated with reduced chronic inflammation, which can put you at a reduced risk for Alzheimer's disease and arthritis. Intermittent fasting is generally appropriate for everyone, especially those people who are experiencing any problems with metabolic disease. But it's not perfect for every single person. In my interview today with Dr. David Jockers, he and I discuss how we can effectively transition into a fasting type diet, how eating in an intermittent way has an impact on our gut health, our dysbiosis, how it can impact our insulin levels, and how ketones can actually help to protect the brain. Let's get to the show. Welcome to the Lindsay Elmore Show a podcast for people who deserve to be healthy with honest, open, and enlightening conversations with doctors, thought leaders, creatives, and spiritual gurus. You'll walk away with simple and tangible tips and tricks that allow you to live your healthiest life so you can pursue your dreams, overcome obstacles, and leave your mark. Dr. David Jockers is a doctor of natural medicine who runs one of the most popular natural health and wellness websites, which has gotten more than 1 million monthly visitors. His work has been seen on popular media sites such as the Dr. Oz Show and the Hallmark Home and Family Network. Dr. David is the author of the best-selling The Keto Metabolic Breakthrough book and The Fasting Transformation. He is a world-renowned expert in the area of ketosis, fasting, and functional nutrition. He is also the host of the popular Dr. Jocker's Functional Nutrition Podcast. 
Dr. David Jockers, welcome to the Lindsay Elmore Show. Oh, thanks so much, Lindsay. You're really honored to be on with you. I have been going through my own intermittent fasting journey for a few months now. And because around Christmas time, I was gifted a, a scale, a body fat scale, visceral fat scale, all of the things for Christmas. And I hopped on it and realized I was the heaviest that I had ever been in my entire life. And if you don't put the brakes on that process, even if you're not overweight, even if you're not obese, it just continues to compound over the years. And so I had been hearing a lot about how we can optimize our metabolism, make our body more resilient when we limit the number of hours that we eat during the day. So I started with with 12. I did uh, Dr. Alejandro Younger's Clean 7, which has a 24-hour fast in there. And I've kind of settled into a routine of about 16 to 18 hours a day. I just don't eat. And I don't I'm not super strict about it because I think that's one of the things that goes awry with health is when we get really strict about it. But for me, I know that the intermittent fasting, or some people like to call it intermittent eating, puts me into a mindset that helps me to make even more good decisions about my health because you're not constantly getting pulled in all of these different directions by the constant call of food. So talk to us a little bit about why you started researching intermittent fasting. What is it? How does it play out for the average person? What does a day look like? And what are some of the benefits to our health? Well, you know, intermittent fasting, Lindsay, is really one of my favorite topics. And the way that I discovered it was in 2005. So I had, I, I actually was a personal trainer um, in my early 20s. And I was always health conscious. My mom is actually a naturopath. But, uh, but I always had gut problems, but I could, you know, basically get them under control uh, on my own. And then when I was in my early 20s, all of a sudden it hit, you know, just basically I, I developed irritable bowel to the point where I lost 30 pounds, right? And I was about 165. So I dropped down to 135 and I was still trying to eat a lot. I used to eat six meals a day. I had to eat you know, have a protein shake before I went to bed, wake up in the morning, have a big breakfast. And I thought I had to do that in order to maintain my muscle mass. And then I started losing weight, even though I was trying to lift weights, I would have terrible bloating, gas, constipation, I would have just massive gut pain. And, you know, during that process, it really took me about a year, year and a half uh, of learning a lot about health. And I went on an elimination diet, I read a book called The Maker's Diet by a friend of mine, Jordan Rubin, he's now a friend. Um, and I started changing my diet. And that made a big difference, but I actually noticed, and I was a big breakfast guy uh, back in these days. And I actually noticed that when I stopped eating breakfast and I would drink a lot of water in the morning, I felt significantly better. And I started gaining my weight back and I had never heard the term intermittent fasting. Nobody was talking about this, but I just started gaining my weight back and I would drink a ton of water between the time I woke up and, you know, you, and, and let's say noon or one o'clock and I wouldn't get hungry until roughly around two or three in the afternoon. Then all of a sudden I would get really hungry. I would eat two, you know, pretty fairly big meals in roughly, you know, like a four to six hour eating window. And during that process, I gained my weight back. I felt better than ever, had better energy, mental clarity, strength. I was in graduate school. I, I shot to the top of my class. I was struggling in the beginning and, um, you know, I just felt felt the best I ever felt. Now, it was funny because I was telling people it was the water. It had to be the water. I was drinking all this water in the morning because I didn't know the benefits of intermittent fasting. But, you know, it was later I discovered the research behind intermittent fasting. And it's incredible what it does. And so for me, somebody with gut issues, and, you know, we know that when we're looking at health from a functional perspective, we have to look at what's happening with the gut. We also have to look at what's happening with your blood sugar and your insulin sensitivity. And fasting really hits both of those areas. So from a gut perspective, it takes stress off the gut. So our gut lining is one cell wall. And as opposed to our skin, which is like 20 different cells, uh, all the way down. And so we know that our skin, you know, obviously if we get a, a large enough uh, cut, you know, we're going to bleed. 
right? Well, it, we don't have to have as much tension on our gut in order to break it open and create a condition called leaky gut. And so we've got this constant tension whenever we're eating, we have this constant tension on our gut. So when we actually intermittent fast, we take physical stress off the gut. And that's really important because for most people, their gut lining is really worn down. And if you were going to try to heal a sprained ankle, you wouldn't be, you know, walking on it or running on it all day. You would, you would rest it. And it's kind of the same thing with the gut. Now, fortunately, the gut heals a lot faster than your ankle does. In fact, studies on rats have shown that even a 24-hour fast like, like you did um, with the Clean 7, that 24-hour fast actually dramatically increases stem cell production in the intestinal lining. The intestinal lining, we replace those cells every three to five days. So just taking some stress off of it throughout the course of a day allows for a dramatic level of healing and repair for that gut lining. So that's one of the big things. It also enhances the microbiome. Believe it or not, you know, microbiome researchers, when, when they talk about the health of the microbiome, they talk about the diversity of the microbiome, the amount of different species of bacteria. And for the most part, most clinicians, uh, functional clinicians talk about eating a, a rich array of prebiotic foods like leeks, onions, asparagus, in order to increase the diversity of the bacteria. And that is one way to increase the diversity. However, perhaps the most uh, powerful way to increase the diversity is actually intermittent fasting, believe it or not. And it drives up a certain type of keystone bacteria called the Ackermansia mucinophilia. Mucinophilia means mucus loving. And so what protects the intestinal lining is this mucus membrane and in the intestines. And Ackermansia actually eats the mucus, stimulates a certain cell called the goblet cell, which increases the amount of mucus production. And the better our mucus production in the gut, the more resilience our gut has. That means the better our gut is able to handle the daily stressors from food, from pathogens, bacteria, you know, different things, pesticides, herbicides that we're being exposed to, it is able to handle that stress and recover better when it has a good healthy mucus membrane. And so intermittent fasting really helps with that. It also just drives down overall inflammation in the body as well. And then from a blood sugar perspective, when we're fasting, our blood sugar goes down and our insulin goes down. And insulin is our fat storage hormone. And insulin is a very important hormone because if we have high circulating blood sugar, the sugar molecules themselves are toxic. They actually bind to proteins and they create sticky proteins. We call these advanced glycation enzymes. Advanced starts with the A, Glycation starts with the G, enzyme starts with the E, right? So it's A-G-E. So what do you think that does to our body? It ages us, right? And so insulin brings down the blood sugar so that we don't get this kind of neurotoxic effect because those, again, those AGEs will damage our nerve cells or damage our kidneys, our blood vessels. This is why somebody with uncontrolled diabetes, they end up with peripheral neuropathy. They end up with kidney problems, kidney failure, um, heart disease, different things like that. So insulin brings that down, but insulin also triggers fat storage. It tells the body to store fat. It also turns on inflammation in the body. And so when we fast, we bring insulin down. When we bring insulin down, now that tells the body, okay, burn fat for fuel. So we start using fatty acids as a fuel source. And when we do that, fatty acids themselves are a great fuel source for like our muscles, our liver, most of the cells in our body can use fatty acids for energy, but the brain can't. And so, and the reason why is fatty acids are very large and they can't cross the blood brain barrier. So when we are in a prolonged state of fasting, or if we're doing this on a regular basis and eating a diet that doesn't drive up insulin on a regular basis, like a lower carb diet, our body starts to create something called ketones because it realizes it's going to have times with low blood sugar and we need an alternative fuel source. And so we need some sort of fuel source to get into the brain because sugar, we may have periods of low blood sugar and that's toxic for the brain. The brain cells start to die. So we create these ketones and they, they cross the blood brain barrier and ketones, the presence of ketones in the blood brain barrier, uh, in the brain, I should say, turns down inflammation, it actually shuts down this, uh, this inflammatory pathway called the inflammasome, the neuroinflammasome. It's like shutting down in the overall alarm. Let's say like, you know, you, you know, a window's open in your house, you set the alarm, boom, the window, you know, the alarm's going off in your house. This is kind of what inflammation is. It's like this amplification effect um, 
you know, that takes place, especially in the brain, you know, and when people experience inflammation in the brain, they experience things like depression. You know, we used to think that was a neurotransmitter issue, but actually it's an inflammation issue in the brain, anxiety, irritability. You know, if you're just irritable and you can't get that under control, right. You, you find it hard to get under control. That's a sign of inflammation in the brain, brain fog, and then of course, long-term, we deal with issues like Alzheimer's, dementia, Parkinson's. So ketones really shut that down. And ketones are a very powerful energy source. So they, we produce a lot of energy from breaking down fat or ketones with very little metabolic waste. When we burn sugar for fuel, sugar is a quick fuel source. We can turn, we can create energy quickly, but it's really um, metabolically it's, 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 um, dirty energy, right? Meaning that we're going to produce a lot of metabolic waste, a lot of free radicals, and that's going to drive up more inflammation. It's going to damage cells more. And so when we go through periods of fasting, right, we help turn on fat burning and the production of these ketones. And we, we teach our body to become what's called metabolically flexible. We're good at burning either sugar for fuel when we need to, like when we're exercising, but also good at burning fat when we're sleeping, for example, or if we're just sitting around working a desk job, we need to be burning fat during that period of time. For the most part throughout the day, we should be burning primarily fat. And most people are not. Most people are stuck in sugar burning because they have chronically elevated insulin levels. And fasting is one of the best ways to get that insulin down. And when insulin's down, one other th great thing happens. We turn on intracellular repair processes, something called autophagy. Autophagy means self-eating. And basically our body says, okay, we need fuel. So we can burn fat and produce fuel, but we also need amino acids and proteins because inside of our body, we've got all these different structures like enzymes. And within our cells, we have things like the mitochondria where we produce all the energy. And those things are primarily made of amino acids and protein. So we need another fuel, we need another form of amino acids if we're not getting it in from our diet. So our body will actually go in and the innate intelligence within us, this is how amazing our body is, Lindsay. It knows where the damaged mitochondria are, where the damaged cells are. And so it starts to break down cells that have become damaged. And all of us have damaged cells. We all have damaged intracellular organelles, like the mitochondria lives within a cell. It's called an organelle within a cell. And it becomes damaged because the process of producing energy creates free radicals. And those free radicals will damage the different organelles like the mitochondria. So over time, these things start to rust, right? Think about it like a rusting, they start to age and they become what we call senescent or aged. And when they're senescent, they are basically less metabolically flexible. They're, they're not good at, for example, using fat or ketones for fuel. They become stuck in sugar burning mode. They, you know, we have immune cells, for example, that will become senescent and they drive up inflammation in the body. And they also can contribute to autoimmunity. When people have autoimmunity, that's a sign of an overload of these senescent or aged cells. So when we go through kind of this period of fasting, we get insulin down for a period of time, um, our body will start to break down these senescent cells and these senescent organelles within the cell and take the raw materials and actually create newer, healthier mitochondria, newer, healthier cells. So it's kind of like taking out the trash. It's like recycling the cellular components to create healthier, more stress resilient cells. So you become a lean, mean, fat burning machine. And you also become an anti-aging machine where your body's actually throwing back your biological clock. So all your cells are functioning at a younger age when you practice regular intermittent fasting and perhaps periodic extended or partial fasting strategies. So there, there's so much that we just talked about. I'm going to go back for our, for our listeners and highlight. Dive. It was a super deep dive and I absolutely love it. The things that really stuck out to me were just like the ankle that is injured needs rest. So too does the gut. I think that's a huge piece of why we would um, consider um, eating only at certain times of the day is because you want to relax the gut. And I also, 
I love the discussion of advanced glycolation end products because I don't think that enough people talk about them. But to sum it up, I basically think of when you... When you eat a diet that is full of these sticky, sugary, carbohydrate, cheap fat, cheap protein kind of meals, your cells ultimately have sugars attached to them. And when proteins and fats have sugars attached to them throughout the body, this is what accumulates. It becomes inflammatory and is what is causing that risk of all of those different disease states. Now, I'd like us to really dive deep into what is the risk of really burning glucose all the time? Because you've talked about the importance of being able to be metabolically flexible. And just yesterday, I was teaching a self-care for pharmacists lecture, and I was talking about the importance of sleep. And if you're not getting enough sleep, guess what? You continue burning glucose all throughout the night and your brain never detoxes and your body never rests. So talk to us a little bit about what are the overall risks of lack of metabolic flexibility? For sure. So burning sugar as a fuel source can be very advantageous in certain circumstances. For example, when you're exercising at a very high intensity, you don't have enough oxygen. Oxygen is an aerobic fuel source, meaning that we need oxygen in order to break down fat for energy, whereas glucose is anaerobic. So we can produce energy without, the, without having uh, oxygen. So this is why when we're exercising at a high intensity, we burn mostly sugar and we produce acid. And that's why you might feel like a burning in your muscles, for example. However, when you're at rest, we definitely want to be burning fat as our primary energy source. Sugar, when we burn sugar, we produce lots of lactic acid. We produce a lot of free radicals. For short periods of time, this is really good because our, actually our body will get better at creating something called endogenous or internally formed antioxidants our endogenous glutathione production goes up. And that's why exercise is so beneficial for our health. However, when we're doing it for a long period of time, we're not going to be able to produce that level of uh, antioxidants. We're going to actually rust and age faster from the inside. On top of that, what you're going to end up noticing is you're going to have a lot more cravings because you can only go a few hours, right? You eat food, blood sugar goes up, but then the hormone insulin comes out, starts pulling down that blood sugar, and within a few hours, you're hungry. So if you're hungry every three to four hours, you're having cravings, you feel irritable. If you miss a meal and you have anxiety, your heart's racing, you have a headache, um, that's a sign that you're, in, you're stuck in this sugar burning mode. And it's very stressful on the body if you are burning sugar and then all of a sudden your sugar goes down, you have what we call hypoglycemia or too low blood sugar. This is really stressful. Your body will produce a whole lot of stress hormone because stress hormones are what we call glucocorticoids, meaning that their job is to raise up blood sugar. So they come out to start to increase blood sugar, break it down from your liver, your muscles, where you have stored sugar. And again, you're bombarding yourself basically with these stress hormones and it puts an overwhelming amount of stress on the brain. And this is why people tend to be very exhausted over time when they're stuck in this state. And we oftentimes will call it things like adrenal fatigue, for example. Um, and insomnia or sleep disturbances is a big factor that takes place when we're stuck in this sort of mode. And in general, our mood is going to be dramatically affected. Most people have experienced being hangry before. And when you're stuck in sugar burning mode, you're going to experience a lot of times, unless you've got food around you every three hours, you're going to experience moments of being hangry where you're irritable, you're anxious. Uh, maybe you have a drop, you have a depression when your brain, when the, the amount of blood sugar goes down and your brain doesn't have the fuel that it needs. As opposed to somebody who's very metabolically flexible, when you're metabolically flexible, you can easily go four or five hours without a meal. You know, you can go eight, you know, 16, 18 hours without a meal, maybe even up to 24 hours or more without a meal and still feel good. Still feel good enough. Doesn't mean you may, you know, you may have moments of like, Hey, I'd like to eat something. I have a little bit of hunger, 
but you're able to do everything that you need to do and you're able to keep your mind and your emotions in balance. This is a sign your body's really good at burning fat for fuel. And that's really where we want to be. It's a great sweet spot. It means you're going to age slower. It means you're going to have better mental health, right? Mood, memory, cognitive acceleration, your ability to think sharply and quickly because you have lower levels of inflammation in your brain and your brain's really good at using ketones, which are an incredibly high energetic fuel for your brain. So you're able to produce more energy in your brain. So you're able to think sharper and quicker. You're able to have better memory. Um, you're able to perform better at whatever it is that you desire to do. So there's tremendous benefits there. Plus you're burning your own body fat. So, you know, most of us have a great goal of having good lean body mass, right? Good muscle tissue, lower body fat percentage. And that's what we're able to do. We're able to tap into our bank account. You know, most people out there, unfortunately, are metabolically inflexible. They are stuck in sugar burning mode, but they have plenty of body fat. They just can't tap into it because their body hasn't developed the systems to actually activate that fat and utilize it for a fuel source. That's what intermittent fasting, along with good sleep, like you were talking about, keeping our stress under control, um, a healthy diet, getting the right types of nutrients, um, you know, keeping carbohydrates down, eating healthy proteins, healthy fats, along with regular exercise, those things all go together and they help synergize to create metabolic flexibility so you can really feel great and thrive. Well, that's exactly what I was about to say is it just feels better when you're not fighting against the food cravings, the mood instability, when you're not fighting against all of the excessive body weight that you're carrying around. It makes life just a little bit, a little bit easier for, and it just, it just feels so good when you can get the endorphins from the exercise. And when you, when you craft a relationship with food that is very loving. And so, you know, the great thing about intermittent fasting for me is when I am eating, I can really eat what I want to. And as I said at the very beginning, when you're intermittent fasting, it it encourages you to continually make better and better choices. And when you start getting the benefits and feeling the difference in how your body's machinery is actually able to function makes it way easier to say, I'm going to eat this thing that's, that's healthier and better for me and put the energy behind going to the farmer's market and going and getting the highest quality of ingredients. It brings joy into food in a lot of ways. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. Chronic inflammation is the main contributing factor to so many chronic health conditions, and it can impact every system of the body in a negative way. My friend, Dr. David Jockers, is offering a chronic inflammation summit that is free and online from May 3rd to May the 9th. You can get signed up for free by heading to lindsayelmore.com slash chronic inflammation. We know that inflammation is the body's natural response to infection, irritation, and injury, but too much inflammation for too long creates chronic systemic problems that damage our bodies at the cellular level. Let's find out how to reverse those signs and heal the conditions that it has caused. Head to lindsayelmore.com slash chronic inflammation to access the summit for free between May the 3rd and May the 9th. And now let's get back to the show. Now, I would like to talk next about people that are great candidates for intermittent fasting and people who are perhaps not so great candidates. So our listeners today, maybe they've never tried intermittent fasting. Who would you say, look, if you're in this bucket, 
probably doing some intermittent fasting is going to be good for you. But if you're over here, maybe use some caution. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I would say right off the bat, about 95% of the population will benefit from some level of intermittent fasting. The people that I caution against it to start are going to be pregnant women because they're really in a building stage. They need to be consuming a lot of calories. And, uh, and especially as they get into like second and third trimester, their stomach starts to shrink. So they need smaller meals kind of throughout the day. My wife actually, as we're doing this interview is uh, almost eight months pregnant. So, you know, we're going to have our fourth child. So she's not doing intermittent fasting. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. So, uh, so them young kids, young kids are in a growing stage, you know, intermittent fasting isn't necessary for young kids. Um, high level athletes, you know, if you're doing two to three hours of intense performance on a daily basis, not a good time for intermittent fasting. Now in the off season, you know, I would recommend every athlete take a month and really practice, you know, take a month off of intense training and practice intermittent fasting to kind of recycle and rebuild, get rid of bad muscle tissue and rebuild new muscle tissue, but in season, not a good idea. And then, you know, people that are, have a history of eating disorders. If you've had a history of, of, bulimia or anorexia, you really shouldn't be making the decision to do intermittent fasting. That should be a decision between you and your counselor or you and a a trusted loved one who can keep you accountable um, because you don't want to slip back into those sorts of behaviors. It can be great, highly therapeutic for you. However, again, you need to be really healed. You need to have accountability there just for your own protection. Absolutely. Beyond that, most people can do some level of intermittent fasting. And the way I tell people to start is 12 hours overnight. And that's actually something even a lot of pregnant people find to not be a problem. In fact, my kids do that. We typically finish dinner at, you know, seven o'clock at night. And my kids are usually eating breakfast at like 8.30 or nine. So they're actually easily getting that. Um, And so a lot of kids actually can do that. We call it a simple fast 12 hours overnight. So, you, you know, you finish your dinner at seven, you wouldn't eat anything with calories until at least 7am the next day. You can drink herbal tea, you can drink water with lemon, different things like that, black coffee, if you want, you can do all of those types of things. You're just trying to avoid calories during that 12 hour window. And then what you'll find is that when you wake up in the morning, we're all dehydrated. So you start by hydrating your water. We've been breathing out water vapor all night. So we need more water when we wake up. I was astonished just a few months ago when I learned that you can breathe out over a liter, liter and a half of water overnight. That is astonishing yeah. to me. Isn't that amazing? So we totally start out dehydrated. That's right. So we want to rehydrate. You know, if you're running to for the cup of coffee first thing in the morning, try this. Try drinking eight to 60 ounces of water. And for a lot of people, I'll tell them do warm lemon water or herbal tea, right? The warm water itself actually stimulates your vagus nerve, which helps relax your body and your brain can help stimulate uh, your bowel movements, which actually immediately will give you energy when you move your bowels early in the morning. Um, And that will help. And so do eight to 16 ounces of water, at least first thing in the morning before you even think about food. And over time, you might even work up to 32 ounces of water before you even think about food, just hydrate. Well, if you're used to eating a big breakfast in the morning, then expect yourself to be hungry in the morning. It's a conditioned response. There's a hormone called ghrelin that is released from your stomach and ghrelin is your hunger hormone. And it's released when your stomach, when it senses that there's nothing in your stomach. And also it's, it's also conditioned response. If you're used to eating at a certain time, you're going to release more ghrelin at that time. So the way you get, you reduce that is you drink water. Water will distend your stomach, expand it. That will naturally reduce the ghrelin response. You won't feel as hungry. And so you do that, it becomes easier to be able to fast a little bit longer, let's say 14 hours. Maybe you might even get up to 16 hours of a fast, right? And then you eat your meals, two or three, three good solid meals in that, you know, six, let's say eight hour eating window, kind of like what you're doing. Uh, Maybe even a six hour eating window, depending on, you know, if you're able to do that, you feel good with that. And that's really a great strategy to have. Now, the people that typically do the best with intermittent fasting, I will tell you that men almost across the board, it's a lot easier for men than it is for women. Okay. So men just don't have quite as much, uh, hormonal stressors as women. Right. And so men tend to be very, very easy. I mean, typically within a week, a man can be really adapted to a good intermittent fasting strategy. Um, women can absolutely get amazing benefits from intermittent fasting. 
I will tell you the toughest demographic are going to be your very lean, active women who are in their menstrual cycle. So they're very active, meaning that they're exercising. They're also typically very stressed. They, they might have kids or um, they might have a full-time job or career or something like that. That's, you know, creating more stress on their lives. They also love to exercise and they're already low in body fat. So when a menstruating woman is low in body fat, the body is very sensitive to that. And particularly because, you know, these, these sex hormones to stimulate the menstrual cycle, um, you're only going to menstruate or become fertile if you've got enough body fat, because the body is intelligent. It knows, Hey, if we don't have enough body fat, we're not going to be prepared for a time of famine. So we're not going to menstruate. Right. Right. And that can throw off all your hormones. And so we've got to be really careful if somebody is already low in body fat, a woman, and she's already exercising a lot, maybe under sleeping, you know, because she's got kids keeping her up at night or whatever it is. She's got a busy career. So for the lean menstruating female uh, that's very active, we want to start with like a 12 to 14 hour fast and really get good at that on a regular basis. Okay. And then what we do is we'll elevate that. Once the woman is there, she feels comfortable with that. Then we'll do something called crescendo fasting, where we'll bump it up to 16 hours, but only twice a week on non-consecutive days. So it'd be like a Monday, Thursday, or Monday, Friday, or something like that. And it's kind of like exercise. Exercise we know is really healthy for the body. However, if we're under a lot of stress, maybe we're not sleeping as well as we should. If we exercise every day, we're going to overtrain our system, right? So we need particularly high-intensity exercise. So we need rest days or recovery days. Well, it's kind of the same thing with fasting. Fasting can be a stressor on the body and it's a very healthy stressor as we've talked about earlier. However, we don't want to overwhelm the system. So crescendo fasting, a lot of women find this works great for them where they're able to do like a 16 or 18 hour fast, but they only do it twice a week, non-consecutive days. And then in the beginning, we started on days when they're not exercising. Now, over time, as their body gets more metabolically flexible, they may find that they really thrive when they do it 16 hour, 16 to 18 hour fast and exercise right at the end of that. Okay. And then break their fast after their exercise. However, we don't start with that in the beginning. We start with, you know, two days a week, non-consecutive days, non-exercise days, see how they do with that. They do well with that. Then we may go three days a week, like in every other day and see how they respond with that. And, you know, well, basically we're always looking for feedback. You know, if you're noticing that you're fasting, you're doing this sort of intermittent fasting, but you're exhausted, your hair is falling out, um, you're not losing weight and said you're starting to gain weight, you're not sleeping well at night, okay, you're feeling cold all the time, then it's time to back off a little bit and we may need a little bit more feasting. In fact, a big component of intermittent fasting is what we call feast famine cycling. Now, if you've got a lot of extra body fat, you may not need to do as much feasting because you've got a whole bank account worth of fuel that your body can tap into. So fasting will get your insulin levels down. And when insulin's down, your body starts to turn on fat burning. So that's great. However, if you're already pretty lean, then if you do too much fasting, your insulin goes down too much, you're not going to convert your active thyroid hormone. You're not going to be able to produce sex hormones like estrogen, progesterone, and testosterone. Then you have those unwanted symptoms. So for that lean woman, she needs to do feasting, a lot of feasting as well, right? And so we may do, you know, one day a week where she's increasing her calories by 500 to 1,000 calories, eating higher amounts of carbs and protein possibly, just to tell the body, hey, food is abundant. Food is abundant, so we can go ahead and we can produce the thyroid hormone we need. We can produce estrogen and progesterone. Insulin, even though it's pro-inflammatory in fat storage, is absolutely critical for turning on thyroid hormone and also turning on the production of all of our sex hormones. So we need to have the right amount of insulin in order to do that. So a good feast day can really help. And in some cases, we might need two feast days. You know, we got to kind of experiment with it. So I think a sweet spot is where somebody's able to do something like, you know, two to three days a week where they're able to get, you know, a little bit of a deeper fast, but then at least one day a week where they're able to feast a little bit more, okay, to kind of reset those hormones. And ultimately, I would really love to see everybody have the metabolic flexibility 
where they're able to do something like a 20 to 24 hour fast every single week. When you're able to do like a one day fast like that, it could be like a lunch to lunch or a dinner to dinner. Like right now, as we do this interview, it's Wednesday. So I, every week I eat lunch on Wednesday and then I fast through dinner and breakfast. I don't eat breakfast on Thursday and I fast until lunch on Thursday. And I work out right at the end of my fast, um, like midday Thursday. And I feel amazing. And that really turns on autophagy. Once you get past like that 18 to 20 hour period, you really ramp up your autophagy level. And so it's like a full cellular reset for me every single week. And I love that. Now, not everybody's able to do that. It's kind of like running a 5k, you know, if you're able to run a 5k in let's say less than 25 minutes, it's a great sign of really good fitness. But if you're not exercising regularly, don't expect to be able to do that. You know, you want to train up to it. It's kind of the same thing with fasting doing a 20 to 24 hour fast where you're still able to work and do all the things you need to do on a weekly basis is an incredible sign of high level metabolic flexibility. But if you're really metabolically inflexible right now, don't expect to do it next week, work your way up to it within three to six months, you'll probably be able to do this and you'll be able to be in a much better metabolic state and feel great. And that's a great thing to be able to carry on for the rest of your life. Talk to us about people who have chronic inflammation or who have autoimmune disorders and whether or not they need to be intermittent fasting? Yeah, great question. I think people with chronic inflammation, autoimmune diseases are some of the very best candidates for intermittent fasting. Now there is one autoimmune disorder that uh, can be a little bit more tricky and that is your type one diabetes because those people are not producing insulin. So therefore they've gotta be a lot more in control of where their blood sugar is. However, there are lots of reports of people with type one diabetes who've gotten great results doing intermittent fasting. So it's certainly possible and can be done. You just need to really be able to manage your blood sugar better and you know, having some professional support there can be really helpful with that. However, in general, we know that autoimmunity is related to leaky gut, right? We, like we talked about gut dysbiosis or bad microbial balance in your gut. We know intermittent fasting is one of the very best things you could do to help create microbial balance in your gut and to heal leaky gut. And on top of that, with autoimmunity, you also have these senescent or older damaged immune cells. And so fasting is really one of the best and fastest ways to heal all three of those areas. So it can be extremely powerful doing some level of intermittent fasting on a regular basis. And there is a scientist, Walter Longo, who's done a lot of studies, PhD. Um, he's done a lot of studies on what he calls the fasting mimicking diet, which is basically a five-day low-calorie diet. So it's not like a long-term low-calorie diet. It's a short-term low-calorie diet. It's roughly between 800 to 1,100 calories a day. Most people need about 2,000 calories. Uh, on a daily basis. And so, and if you're larger, obviously you need more higher metabolic activity. You know, I'm usually eating 2,500, 3,000 easily calories a day, more exercise you do, the more calories you're going to need. But they say the average individual needs about 2000 calories. So on the fasting mimicking diet, first day is 1100 calories. And then the four days after that's 800 calories. So 40% of your caloric load. And he's done a lot of studies kind of using this template and they've shown a remarked reduction in, uh, you know, circulating autoimmune, you know, so antibodies to different tissues of the body. Um, you know, basically the immune cells regenerate. So they get rid of these senescent immune cells and they create healthier immune cells as a whole, um, healing of the leaky gut, improved, uh, gut di diversity, the micro of the microbiome, right? So just phenomenal results utilizing this sort of a, a diet plan. And so there's a lot of different strategies somebody can take and, you know, depending upon what medications, nice thing about a fasting mimicking diet, or I put that in a category of what I call a partial fast, where it's not a full fast it's calorie restricted, but you're still getting a lot of the benefits of fasting and other examples of a partial fast are a bone broth fast. Some people may be familiar with that. You're just drinking bone broth or a green juice fast. You know, probably people probably heard of like juice fasting. That's an example of a partial fast. 
There's also some people will do a fat or keto fast, right? Where they're just consuming like fat or exogenous ketones. Um, like, like for example, they'll, they'll consume, you know, like a butter coffee or a bulletproof coffee, uh, things like that. And uh, there's another one called the Daniel fast, which isn't necessarily like a partial fast, but it's like your fat, it, it, tip, it tends to be lower calories. So these are all examples. Now, these kinds of fasts can be really helpful if somebody's taking a lot of medications because some medications, you know, you're, you feel really, really sick on if you take them on an empty stomach, right? So on a partial fast, like the fasting mimicking diet that Walter Longo has done a lot of this research on, you're consuming meals, right? You're consuming food, but it's, you know, it's lower calorie as a whole, and it tends to be lower in carbohydrates, higher in healthy fats. Um, he uses a low protein template. And the reason for that is he wants to activate more autophagy. And if you're consuming more protein, you're going to get less autophagy, right? So he uses that sort of a template. And um, that way, uh, when you do that, it's better for, you know, obviously taking medications or if somebody's really concerned about, you know, they're already underweight and they're concerned about losing weight, that can be really helpful and therapeutic. Uh, beyond that, doing something like a five-day water fast where somebody's drinking water, maybe taking some salts. Salts can be helpful because when you fast, your insulin levels go down and insulin helps you retain sodium. So we hear about in our society, we hear about like, oh, you know, we need less salt, right? We need low salt diets. That can be good if you're on a high carbohydrate diet, you have high insulin, but when you fast, your insulin goes down. So you actually need more salt or you're going to feel really bad. Okay. You're going to get tired. You're going to be exhausted. You're going to have headaches. You might have heart arrhythmias. These kinds of responses are all related to electrolyte imbalances. So taking a little bit of salt, sea salt, putting on your tongue can be really helpful. Sometimes magnesium supplements can be really helpful as well. Um, and so doing that for roughly three to five days can really activate a high level of autophagy and break down a lot of these bad cells help heal your gut lining. We told, we talked about how the gut lining heals in a three to five day period, um, dramatically increase uh, the diversity of your microbiome and get rid of all the, the bad species that you had in there. And so if somebody has, let's say like, you know, 10 plus pounds to lose and they've got autoimmunity or, uh, you know, chronic inflammation, I'll take the first month and get their body really doing well on an intermittent fast, figuring out a good intermittent fasting schedule. They're able to go 16 to 18 hours on a regular basis, uh, fasting, and then maybe one day a week doing a 24 hour fast. And then on month two, we'll incorporate a three to five day water fast where I'll allow herbal tea during that period of time or salt, or if they're on a lot of medications, we may do like the fasting mimicking diet or a partial fast. Really depends on what they're most comfortable with. If they're intimidated by the water fast, yeah, we don't need to start there. We could start with the fasting mimicking diet or something similar to that. You know, I have like a alternative because the fasting mimicking diet that Walter Longo has, you basically purchase all this food that's in like little bags. Only problem with that is a lot of the, the food has a lot of nuts and seeds. And sometimes people with autoimmunity have sensitivities to those. So I've got an alternative where it's basically like, you're basically consuming like an avocado salad, right? So it's lots of nutrient dense greens, avocados for healthy fats, olive oil on there. But, you know, we keep out like the nuts and seeds, right? So they do that, you know, they're able to get 800 calories a day with two meals of these kinds of salads. And um, they're able to take their medications with those and, you know, get their calories and they do that for five days. Right. And then we'll do that every month, you know, for six months and you'll see it's an amazing, amazing transformation that they go through. Right. Mm -hmm. So they're intermittent fasting on a regular basis. Then they're doing this sort of kind of partial fast or, you know, like a water fast, uh, and they're able to drop the weight, get significant reduction in inflammation and really change over these damaged cells. And you'd be surprised how far somebody can go with some sort of a template like this and a strategy like this in really as, as, as quick as like a three to six month process. And I mean, within a year, they're an entirely new cellular being. It's, it's absolutely incredible the level of rejuvenation their body goes through with this. It is truly astonishing once you get your metabolism working in the right direction how much it can change 
it can change everything. And, and I, as I study and I learn more about functional medicine, I've really just started coming down time and time again, that the root cause of basically everything is stress inflammation and insulin resistance. You know, if you can fix any and all of those things, you are going to be living a healthier life. I can see that I'm going to have to have you back as a guest at another point in time because there is so much more that we could talk about. But for now, let's end here. I'm going to tell all of my listeners that you can head over to drjockers.com. You can pick up his best-selling books, The Keto Metabolic Breakthrough and The Fasting Transformation right now. Dr. David Jockers, thank you so much for coming and being a guest today on The Lindsay Elmore Show. Well, thanks so much, Lindsay. It's really an honor. I appreciate everything you're doing with your show, getting this message out. And uh, thanks so much for thinking about me and having me on your show. Heck yeah. Let's just encourage some people to eat better. How about that? That's right. (laughs) You got it. Hey there, listeners, it's Lindsay. Just wanted to let you know that I, alongside some of my favorite functional medicine pharmacists, will be teaching a stress solution summit on May the 15th. This is a course to help you reduce stress and heal your hormones. By the time you finish the course, you will have practical tips and useful knowledge that will help you reduce stress in your daily life, include movement throughout the day without it feeling like exercise, and understand how stress is disrupting your blood sugar, your thyroid hormones, and your sex hormones leading to all kinds of problems from mood swings to messy menopause to metabolic disease. I hope that you'll join me on May the 15th. All you have to do to get signed up is head to lindsayelmore.com slash stress solution. All you have to do right now is head to www.lindsayelmore.com slash stress solution. The Lindsay Elmore Show is written and produced by me, Lindsay Elmore. Show segments are produced by Sue Procco and Kelsey Lorman. Production design, sound design, and editing is by Jive Media. If you have a question about this or any other episode of the podcast, send us an email to hello at lindsayelmoreshow.com. And hey, since you're still here, take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. And while you're at it, go over and follow us on Instagram at Lindsay Elmore Show. This helps us bring the pod to more people.